0: is running out to deliver on Perry's agreement. Do we need to push the climate agenda harder and make it more ambitious.
1: We should not have unrealistic and too hard expectations. The carbon market will grow all of a sudden overnight.
2: China has to remain nimble in terms of how to adapt.
1: The
0: reality is colder. An energy crisis is wreaking havoc across the world and forcing even net-zero countries back to coal.
1: There will be a huge cost for China in terms of, uh, you know, the face down the coal.
0: The green finance sector is facing shortages as well
2: in terms of energy transitions only there is a requirement of almost a 20 trillion dollar financing cap up to 2050
0: now for a look at how to deal with climate change in these worsening conditions only on this talk welcome to this edition of climate talk I'm guan in Beijing in less than two months, global leaders will gather in Glasgow for the UN Climate Talks or COP26. The upcoming conference has been dubbed as the most important climate talks since the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015 and the big test of global solidarity between the world's rich and poor nations. Urgent actions are needed to mobilize global climate actions and keep hope alive of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 Celsius. To talk more about this, joining me today are two distinguished guests, Zhu Xian, Vice President and Secretary General of International Finance Forum, and Devenant Ramia, Deputy Country Director of UNDP China. Thank you so much for joining us. So Mr. Ramia, let me start with you. The United Nations just released a report which gave a code red for humanity. So what measures are necessary to promote a greener, sustainable recovery from this pandemic? We know that the uneven recovery pace has made it even more challenging.
2: COVID-19 also has given a point of inflection for us to sit pause and reflect, Mm -hmm. and realize that the path that we were on in terms of development trajectory is unsustainable. What we can do for green recovery is actually, I would say, three things. One is we can look at stimuluses. Now, in the current COVID context, many governments are putting out stimulus, and the China stimulus, for instance, comparing to the 2008 financial crisis was more greener, and there's potential for improvement, but it was better. Uh, EU has put out its own green... uh, a uh, sustainable recovery package which also includes uh, up to 30 million, 30 percent of their financing can be used for climate-related issues. There is also uh, opportunity for us to leverage nature because nature also provides almost one-third in terms of our impact on emissions.
0: The alarm bells for climate change can't be more deafening. Some environmental deterioration trends are now irreversible. Let's take a look at what mankind has done. We have warmed the climate at a rate unprecedented in the last 2,000 years. In 2019, atmospheric carbon dioxide concentrations were higher than at any time in at least 2 million years. Meanwhile, in 20th century, mean global sea levels have risen faster than in any other century in the past 3,000 years. We have pushed our mother planet to the breaking point. And then we need to learn a lesson from the past, the history. And Mr. Ramir, um, in particular, how do you think we can meet the present need for financing? Because uh, we know that some developing countries are actually seeing the gap widening after the pandemic.
2: need for financing and the amount of financing that is required to address the climate emergency has mm-hmm. to be increased drastically if you look at after the carbon neutrality pledge in China, just in terms of energy transitions only, there is a requirement of almost a $20 trillion financing cap up to 2050. So there is a big need for us to move towards uh, mobilizing financing. Now, how we can go about it is also there are lots of options in terms of, uh, there are what I would call brown investments, there are lots of money that goes into fossil fuel subsidies, so we can do subsidy reform, Uh, there is also in terms of funding that goes into, um, uh, if you look at lots of banks, banks also currently there is about 3.8 trillion dollars in the last four years, the 60 biggest banks have put into um, brown investments. Mm. So these things you can actually channel out by putting a tax on carbon, by doing a subsidy reform, all of that actually creates the fiscal space for us to be able to contribute to some of the financing need in terms of energy transition,
0: we know that uh, the uh, sustainable development goals are uh, very important for the UN for a long time. And it, it is actually in line with those green initiatives. So tell us, um, what is your understanding about how will sustainability goals power future growth, and how should governments seize the opportunity to go green?
2: I mean, sustainable development goals are the most ambitious development framework. It's broader than climate change and that's what actually drives our investment decisions as well as our development decisions. There are Mm -hmm. trillions of dollars that can be actually in terms of business opportunities that is generated in uh, investing in SDGs. So this is something that the governments need to actually focus on and the governments are moving in that direction, actually coming up with uh, how they channel public funding, how do they prioritize public funding in terms of their budgetary priorities, how we are also doing in terms of innovative financing instruments like SDG bonds, in terms of impact measurements that we are putting in place which uses SDG as a guiding principle. So these are some of the tools for us to ensure that the growth is driven with SDG as a fundamental framework.
0: A host of countries and industry giants have announced commitments to reach net zero in coming years. But why does net zero matter and why does the world depend on it? An IPCC report clearly illustrates the path for different types of economic development that can lead to future carbon dioxide emissions. The report pointed out that in order to limit global warming to well below 2 Celsius, net zero must be soon achieved. What is your observation of transnational Cooperation on climate are countries fulfilling their responsibilities
2: now the good news is that if you look at it almost 65 percent of the carbon emitters those who emit 65 percent of co2 and covering almost 70% of the global economies, all of them have made commitment towards carbon peaking and carbon neutrality, and China was one of the first countries to do so. So that gives a critical mass of countries that can come together. So there's some realization, but I don't want to be naive. There are national interests and national priorities that has to be managed. In this context, I think there is hope, but uh, Glasgow uh, COP26 is going to be a critical juncture where I think the global community will have to raise its level of ambitions Mm -hmm. if you're really going to try and keep temperatures under 2 and actually try and limit it to 1.5 degrees Celsius.
0: As the clock ticks down to COP26 in Glasgow, politicians are looking for a harder plan to slash carbon dioxide emissions.
1: The Glasgow COP26 summit is the turning point for humanity. We're approaching that critical turning point in less than two months
0: in just over 40 days but the rush to renewables has consequences european leaders double down on their pledges at the u.n to slash carbon dioxide emissions british prime minister boris johnson said great britain will lead by example such vows look lame as europe has sunk into an energy crisis increased global demand has caused the price of natural gas to increase five-fold over the past year soaring electricity bills are forcing factories to close China is also feeling the pinch, struggling with its worst power shortfalls in a decade. Climate policies are now being tested. Uh, Mr. Zhu, you know that China has encouraged businesses to integrate their green development throughout their overseas investment, such as the Belt and Road Initiative. What do you think about the impact of the recent upgrade of China's green
1: commitment? We have to recognize and uh, mostly China's overseas investment in emerging market, developing countries, where that they're probably at a different stage of development, and their environment, including the energy situation, can be very different. So I think that on the one hand, I think China should try to more strongly uh, comply with its own commitment on climate change in terms of the overseas investment, on the other hand, China should be also carefully uh, looking into the specific t- situation and then tailoring its investment and into the other emerging market uh, countries, particularly in these uh, sensitive sectors such as energy, including power and other things, because uh, natural resources endowments in other countries are very different.
0: And Mr. Zhu, how will China's carbon neutrality goal affect the country's growth model in the future?
1: The first, I think that conceptually, we need to try to think how we can turn the relationship from trade off into complementary territory. Because uh, a lot of people argue that eventually, if really China pursues too quickly, too strongly, and uh, the climate change agenda, and China's growth may be affected. I think that if really that the two sides can be managed more complementarily, mm-hmm. I think that eventually the tension will be much less. On the other hand, that is very consistent with the Chinese government's policy towards quality growth and also for the market, for the enterprises. I think the climate change agenda should not be seen as really a cost to the growth, but rather can be managed in a complementary way. Mm-hmm.
0: Coming up next, what contributions has China made to the world concerning global climate protection?
2: China in solar, PV that brought down the prices almost mm. by 85% from 2010.
0: The road ahead for China to reach carbon neutrality
1: will be hard. It should be that really the burden sharing or cost sharing between the market, enterprises, and the government, and eventually also the population.
0: China's deep determination to tackle climate change has been further proven in the 76th U.N. General Assembly held last month.
1: China will step up support for other developing countries in developing green and low-carbon energy and will not build new coal-fired power projects abroad. I want to thank very much President Xi of China for what he has just done to end China's international financing
0: of coal. Chinese President Xi Jinping last year delivered the most aggressive climate commitment, saying that China intends to peak carbon emissions by 2030 and reach carbon neutrality by 2060. For China, the green transition will be much harder and costlier, as over half of the country's energy consumption still comes from coal. How to achieve a balance between strengthening economy and protecting the planet is a key question for China. Let's talk about the transformation of the energy mix. We know that the UNDP has been assisting China's transition to a low carbon economy. So Mr. Ramia, what is your observation of China's trans- transitioning of the energy mix? I think the 2060-2030
2: 20, 20, commitments from China has given it a real needed push uh, as well as acceleration in terms of that energy transition and China has taken certain steps uh, towards moving towards that goal. Uh, And even if you look at the 14th five-year plan in terms of the binding targets, there are a couple of targets in terms of emission reductions as well as in terms of uh, consumption of power, which are all pointing towards the right energy transition. But on the one hand, the glass is quarter full, but there's also a lot needs to be done because at the end of the day, it is too early to judge, because the commitment was only very, made very recently, and some of the sector plans that are still being put in place in terms of translating this into action. So I think China uh, has to remain nimble in terms of how to adapt.
1: Mm-hmm. If, for
2: instance, the, some of the binding targets in the 14th five-year plan is on the lower side, even though it can meet the targets, but if the growth, for instance, increases, then they will have to adjust. So these are the, that, that requires nimbleness, and also we have to observe and support.
0: And Mr. Zhu, what is your thoughts on China's practices right now and the roadmap ahead towards carbon neutrality? We know China is still a developing country. What is your thinking about carbonomics? How to manage the cost of carbon reduction in China?
1: there will be a huge cost for China, for example, in terms of, uh, you know, the face down, the coal, because China energy sector the mix is still dominantly by coal. There's a cost, both in terms of the stock, of the coal power generation, and the coal utilization. I believe it should be that really the burden sharing or coal cost sharing between that the market, enterprises, and the government, and eventually also the population. Because if really we all believe that the global agenda is really the priority, not only for global aspect, but also for China, and then that cost should be somehow distributed and through all the players.
0: As the world's largest developing economy, China's green development has massive implications for the world. It also creates enormous opportunities. Nearly one out of every three solar panels and wind turbines in the world today are in China. China is also home to half of the world's electric cars, 80 percent of EV chargers and 98 percent of electric buses. And Mr. Ramir, what opportunities will China's green economy bring to the world?
2: Uh, China is pioneering some of the green technologies which is uh, not a debatable point and which is actually positive for the rest of the world and if you look at China, currently China has 32% of the world's installed renewable capacity and it is China's contributions for example in solar PV that brought down the prices almost Mm -hmm. by 85% from 2010. Now, all of it has benefits for other developing countries in terms of bringing down the prices, and in also in terms of sharing some of these green uh, technologies with other countries for them to also deal with their uh, emission reductions challenges. But it's not only about technology; it also there's possibility to learn from the policy environment and the enabling environment, mm-hmm. incentives, etc., that has been put into place.
0: Mm-hmm. And Mr. Zhu, you know that uh, Mr. Ramia just mentioned that trillions of dollars are needed in China's uh, low-carbon transitioning. And we know that private sector must play a very big role in this. So. What do you think about the opportunities for investors and
1: capital? Well, I think that uh, as we all agree, I think that the financial resources required will not be sufficient from public sector, from government. So private sector need to play increasingly a critical role. And also this would be a good opportunity for them to invest into tomorrow. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think that we need to differentiate different investors and different kind of risk. For example, for those, uh, and uh, you know, financially viable renewable energy and other things, eventually government probably does not need to do too much by giving the in- economic incentives. On the other hand, in the areas potentially that will be really great for the economy and for the social purposes, but they are not yet financially viable, and then the government probably still need to provide some and uh, economic incentive other things. But also, of course, last but not least, government need to provide a sort of stable, enabling environment in terms of its policy, incentive, so eventually the private sector feel that really they can count on the policies and the measurements so that they can make investment into where the thing that their risk profile can fit.
0: Coming up next. The energy transition is tough, but there will always be opportunities.
2: The uh, investment in innovation and green technology would add around 42 million jobs globally.
0: Every problem has a solution. We just have to be brave enough to do what's needed.
2: There's no lack of capital in the world. Just rechanneling 1% of the global wealth assets can have a big impact on...
0: Toolkits for tackling climate change have been continuously improved. The world's tech giants believe that their sector has a major role to play in tackling climate change. Tesla founder Elon Musk is particularly bullish on carbon capture technologies. That's because direct air capture could allow humanity to turn the clock back on past emissions. The technology sounds like a perfect solution, but what's holding it back? And Mr. Ramia, what what is your thinking on technology innovations to cut carbon emissions such as uh, carbon capture and storage technologies things like that?
2: I mean, uh, keeping to the 2 degrees Celsius and 1.5 degrees Celsius requires quite a lot of innovations. Actually, Mm -hmm. technological green innovations has to be part of the solution. And there are a number of innovation that is in the inception stages or in growing stages that we'll have to adapt and use. This includes zero carbon cement, zero carbon steel, in terms of uh, biofuels, advanced biofuels, hydrogen that is developed with zero emissions. Now, I'm not a technology expert, but particularly on carbon capture and storage. Yes, I mean, this is one of the technologies, especially for heavy industry sectors that are unable to transition out. This is one solution, uh, and it can be used both on point uh, capture as well as direct air capture. That's also another technology that is being explored. But the reality is that still it is very costly. And it yes. is not at a stage where it's deployable
0: mm-hmm. in a
2: mass scale.
0: Uh, what about in 10 or 20 years? It,
2: it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, you need a bunch of toolkits to deal with this, and we... Ha- Reaching a stage where there will be zero emissions in everything we do is going to be difficult. So this definitely is something that we'll have to look at.
0: And then we should look at all the tools possible. Yeah. And Mr. Zhu, you just mentioned market mechanism. So what do you think about the current pricing of carbon? So some complain that it is still too low to, uh, to spur technological innovation.
1: Well, I think that is encouraging to see that the carbon market started in China because mm-hmm. of this great potential. I think that that will play increasingly important role in China's commitment in the climate change and areas. On the other hand, we need to be realistic. We need to see that the market will evolve, market will expand. We also need to see the encouragement of more players into and the carbon market. Mm-hmm. And the pricing is a key. But on the other hand, I must say, I think that we should not have unrealistic and too hurried expectations that the carbon market will grow all of a sudden overnight. But as long as the reaction is correct, I'm quite optimistic and the carbon market will play increasingly big role in China's commitment towards climate change agenda.
0: Mm-hmm. I look forward to that. Uh, Mr. Ramia, you know that climate change uh, efforts are, are going to have a very far-reaching impact on China's society. In particular, what do you think about the impact on job market? How will the in- investment in clean technologies affect job creation?
2: And currently, the story on that is very positive. Uh, for instance, actually in, uh, investment in innovation and green technology, the projection is that would add around 42 million jobs globally and of course most of that also would be in china so there is a positive side of the story but we also have to realize that the transitioning of energy systems Mm -hmm. and transitioning into a clean energy architecture would also have some pain points and as UNDP uh, human development is the core of our mandate we really need to ensure that first we need to skill uh, build skills, retools people skills to adapt to the green economy that mm-hmm. is coming, that is on the way. At the end of the day, we also have to support those who are working in fossil fuel industries, who will have to transition out, either through social safety nets, also with training and other kind of skills development. And you need different kinds of skills and new skills uh, for people who are coming into the labour market, as well as currently people who are working in the labour market to cater to these new jobs. So this is something in terms of policy uh, incentives and policy architecture that at national and local government level, we we'll need to really pursue and put in place so that the transition is clean and the transition has a minimal impact.
0: New funding models are needed to help develop technological innovations in a fight against climate change. Green financing has been around for a long time, but it has remained peripheral and insufficient and the capital markets always seek to maximize returns. Even the world's wealthy nations have fallen $10 billion short in climate financing. We have all of the needed methods. The One thing left is action. That requires the joint effort of all private sectors, institutions, governments, and residents of our threatened planet. And Mr. Ramia, uh, what is your thinking on this? How to drive private investment? uh, In particular, uh, what role will green finance play in this?
2: In terms of private sector and private finance, we have to do a couple of things. One is it's about also stopping the investments on negative carbon related projects and programs, which also has a carbon cost and a negative Mm -hmm. externalities. So doing that is one way of creating fiscal space for us to invest on green technology. Another one is that uh, governments need to incentivize by absorbing sometimes the risk because the return on some of these climate investments are much longer than what you would in a normal situation, so government and public finance come can come in to increase that lifespan and also to de-risk some projects. Then, of course, there is also mitigation and adaptation. And some adaptation projects, for instance, requires public capital, not private capital. But there are lots of um, money to be made in that sense from a business sense. And there are lots of investment opportunities. Now, one of the problems is very difficult for private sector to find bankable projects where it is needed. So that's exactly something that entities can help. Let's not forget one fact, and that's very important for your audience to also know. There's no lack of capital in the world. Just rechanneling 1% of the global wealth assets can have a big impact on, for example, SDGs and climate. So there is lots of money out there. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of redirecting it and finding the right entry points for it to go where there is a need. And there can't be a bigger need than climate emergency, which you and I all are facing. Mm
0: And there's a big potential for green finance, and Mr. Zhu, you know, um, analysts say that green finance will go from a niche market to mainstream uh, because there is so so much financial resources, as Mr. Ramia mentioned. So, what do you think about the potential for global cooperation on green finance?
1: Well, I think that, uh, as just said, uh, green finance already we see a lot of uh, good progress in many countries and on the other hand i think that we need to really continue to do some homework like standardization mm-hmm. like information data and the data collection and right. disclosures unless really will be uh, internationally accepting and the rules, and then eventually the green financing probably will not go as fast as it should and globally integrated in different financial markets. On the other hand, I must say, and this is a pretty much the supply side, side. On the demand side, we also need to really encourage and provide some sort of uh, an incentive for the real sectors, industries, businesses, eventually to pick up green financing as well. So I think that you need to see both supply side and demand side, and then put things into the market with a good encouragement and measures from the government.
0: Well, thank you so much for your insights. We have to leave to there, Zhu Xian, Vice President and Secretary General of International Finance Forum, and Davinant Ramia, Deputy Country Director of UNDP China. And that's all for this edition of Climbing Talk. I'm Guangxing in Beijing. Bye for now.